Well, welcome back, everybody. Victor Adair sitting in for Michael Campbell this morning, and Michael will be back uh, next week. He'll be broadcasting from the uh, Bayshore Hotel in Vancouver where we're having the World Outlook Conference. I think this must be about the 28th annual one. And uh, speaking of that, uh, I know the VIP tickets, they're all sold out. There is room for about six more people. <laughs> and, uh, I think there's a little more room for that, but the, 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 the thing is just about sold out. If you have an interest in going, go to moneytalks.net, click on the button there that takes you to the World Outlook Conference. You can sign in online, and if you can't be at the conference itself, you can get uh, a video of it later so that you will see what all the great uh, speakers had to say. At this point, time. I'm uh, happy to welcome uh, Dr. James Thorne to the show here. He works with uh, Caldwell Investment Management Limited down in Toronto. He's a chief capital market strategist and a senior portfolio manager. And I talked to Jim yesterday. Jim, that was a great talk yesterday uh, with you. I'm I'm looking forward to continuing it this morning. Thanks for having me today. Uh, You have your top 10 themes that you published here in January of 2016. Uh, We're not going to get to all 10 of them, but I know you've got a a view in the market here that maybe just starts with your first theme here, where you think that the recession fears that have been in the market are overblown and that global global growth is going to improve. Yes, um, I I think... you have to stand back, and, and as investors, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is is the tendency to overlook or underweight um, uh, uh, factors that that we don't agree with. And you know, this all started, I think, in last year with the you know the Chinese economy, and everybody woke up and thought that you know the Chinese economy was finally slowing. Well, we've known about that for years. And, and and we've also known about the fact that it's been built on on cheap credit, and that there is a it's imbalanced, and there's an ex- excessive amount of of investment in fixed assets. And all of a sudden, we wake up in in August, and and we overreact, and that's the biggest mistake. And then we extrapolate, and whether it's that, whether it's oil going down to twenty dollars, whether it's the spreads on high yields, all these themes have been around for an extended period of time, and I think we've had a confluence of events last year where they've reached a tipping point, and people are extrapolating that, you know, we're going to go into a global recession, and, and, and we just don't see it. We just think it's a steady as she goes, slow growth economy, nothing special, but it, 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 it's not going to be a recession. And I think with the market correction that we've had over the past couple of, of, uh, uh, of weeks, provides investors opportunities and i think people need to be nimble and open-minded about that jim i i like your term right there and I, we should uh, we should trademark this a confluence of fears and i think that's that's exactly what happened it seems you know the the, the usual perfect storm it never rains but it pours everything seemed to happen at once and of course markets aren't rational they're emotional and we got an overreaction so you think then if I could put words in your mouth, don't let me do that. But this this nasty break that we've seen since about Christmas time is uh, is an overreaction. It is, but I, I will say that we we expect a very volatile year this year. And and I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest mistakes that we do as investors, and I'm going to quote Benjamin Benjamin Graham here, is you know Benjamin Graham when we go and and all this this volatility comes into the market, we as investors. 
we make a big mistake. And what we do is we look at the actions of the market and we think that that holds some information or some intelligence. And Benjamin Graham pointed out the day-to-day market isn't a fundamental analyst. It's a barometer on investor sentiment. Uh, you can't take it too seriously. And that's what we were talking about yesterday is we've got to put our psychologist hat on more in this type of a market and, and stand back and realize that what the market is reacting to is, is fears and, and, and not fundamentals. And you, we need to work really hard as investors to pull ourselves back and ask us, uh, do some work. Do some fundamental work and, 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 and to realize that um, these types of markets provide opportunity. I want to go to your next point, which uh, let, let's summarize in four words. Don't fight the Fed. Uh, on this show, I have to tell you, for the last five years, when Mike says to me, you know, what's driving the market, I've been saying anticipation of central bank policy. You know, at the margin, it seems not a lot else matters. The, the market, let's say in the middle of December, was looking forward to several interest rate increases uh, in the United States in the year going ahead. In the last couple of weeks, that's been geared back to, gee, they might even cut rates. Where do you stand on that? You're absolutely right, and and it's it's key. We have got brought up a generation of investors that just be off of what central bankers do around the world, which is which is unfortunate. I, I think what is happening. I think there is a, a, a view that monetary policy is losing its effectiveness, and I think the is losing in terms of trying to wean the pension off of this drug. And you know, we can go harken back to our old favorite TV shows or what have you, and. You know, when, when you have that, 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 that show where you're, you, that patient is being weaned off drugs, it goes through withdrawals, and that's what we're doing right now. So I, I, and I think the key is this, is, is also, if the Fed does raise rates, and, and, and I don't know, I think, I'm just going from what they, they're doing, they, they, want to, they want to unwind what is called unconventional monetary policy. And... So when we go back to our previous concept about recession, what people are saying is that the credit cycle is over. And if the credit cycle is over, and a typical credit cycle lasts 8 to 10 years, and when a credit cycle is over, you typically go to cash or become very defensive in your portfolios. And in a typical credit cycle, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates to fight inflation to slow the economy down. The Fed in the United States wants to raise interest rates at the short end, to take back the unconventional monetary policy. So this isn't a typical cycle, and we would argue that they're going to do it, and I, we would argue that through this year, this, in their desire to do this, will put a cap in ad, uh, on, on, on stock market returns for the early part of the year, but as people get comfortable with the fact that they're not trying to slow the economy down to fight inflation, stock market and, and companies that benefit from this new growth environment will provide investors some very handsome returns. Well, let me, that'll lead right into uh, what's number eight on your list of uh, 10 things to look at this year, and that is the divergence. And there's another word we've used a lot on this show in the last year, the divergence between the monetary policy in the United States and the rest of the world. People have heard my take on that. What do you think that means, I suppose, especially with respect to currency markets? 
Well, we were talking about this yesterday as well, and, and it's funny because people are saying, well, if the United States raises interest rates, what's that going to do to the Canadian dollar? And, and, and you know, the, stock, the financial markets are forward discounting mechanisms. And I don't know about you, but if you look at a chart of the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar, it looks like one of the mountains that you've got in, in B.C. It's straight up, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, the first thing that we've had is people have anticipated that the United States is going to raise interest rates and start taking money out of uh, or start, start introducing normalization. So that gives us the strong dollar. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is, is I, I, I would argue, um, is what this is going to do is it's going to change the flow of capital globally. For the past 10 years, let's say, since, you know, the, since the brick trade has been on and since the commodity super cycle has been on, money has been flowing out of the developed world into the emerging markets. And that trade or that flow is now reversing back. So we see that with China uh, and the current and the capital flows come out of China. We're seeing that with Saudi Arabia having to sell their foreign reserves. So the money's starting to come back to the United States. So, so if I had to sit there and ask people what to benchmark off of, I, it wouldn't be the last decade. It would be the 80s and the 90s where the United States is the best house and a bad block. Money flows back to the United States consumers are going to start to lead. Think about 70% of GDP growth in the United States is consumer, 55 in Canada. And so we're going to go back to, back to the future, which is, you know, back to the 1980s. And, and, and so we're very comfortable with it. Victor, the problem we see with this is the misinterpretation, and people aren't prepared for this. If you're prepared for this, if this is a tidal bore, and you're not prepared for the tidal bore, you get washed away. Well, there are people that, that surf on tidal bores, right? And so we're very comfortable with this. We understand that this is going to create volatility in the markets. But at the same point in time, this is not the end of the world. I think the biggest mistake investors make today is benchmarking off of 2008 and thinking that the global financial crisis is going to happen again. Uh, we think that is and that, we think, is prevalent in the market today. Jim, we're going to take a commercial break. When I come back, I want to ask you specifically then what you think about the commodity market. You've kind of given us a hint, I think, as to what you think about the Canadian dollar and what you think is ahead for, you know, what would be your picks, in other words, as to where to put your money. We'll take a break and come back, get more of Jim. You're listening to Money Talks all across the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back, Victor Adair, filling in for Michael Campbell. We've got uh, Dr. James Thorne on the line with us from uh, Caldwell Investment Management in Toronto. Uh, just before I get back to Jim, I have to remind you that Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club, a royalty-based investment in the tech space. Uh, go to soleraclub.com for more information about that. Jim, when we were talking, you were reviewing, uh, you think the global economy is going to do better than some of the, the worry warts out there. You are expecting the Fed to raise interest rates. We're going to have a, a, a divergence of central bank policies around the world that will probably will make the dollar stronger. Um, I'm not going to try to paraphrase everything you said there, but let's, let's because time will get short, let's get to a couple of hits. One of the ones that's been, it's is China. And I've been fascinated by this, and I say to my, my son, my trading partner, 
China is so important, but I've got no idea what to believe in terms of the information that comes out of there. What a conundrum that is. So you're right. And so we know that we know that China is evolving as an as an economy. We know that they've got to the point which is called the middle income trap where 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 very few country com, uh, economies adjust and go from being an emerging market to an advanced economy. This is a very difficult process. They will be successful. But they're moving from a, an economy that is consuming commodities to a, a, an economy that is consuming products. And so this adjustment process is affecting the way the global economy w- is working, and that's why the, the markets are so tumultuous as we speak. Last week, what I did was I listened to one of the major corporations that, that has uh, exposure to China, and that would be Starbucks. And Starbucks sells coffee, and it's being consumed, and the consumer class is rising in China. And, and sales were up 9%. GDP in China, when you parse it out, consumption was up 10%. So you've got portions of the economy that are doing quite well, and the other portions of the economy are not, are not doing well. Look at a slower growing economy in China that is a, that has a higher quality growth is better for the global economy. It's good that they're taking out the overcapacity in the steel market. It's good that they're not building bridges to nowhere or empty cities. So we're going through this adjustment process. And uh, as we said earlier, this should be widely accepted. So to sit there and see it grow, so we think, you know, 6.5%. China is going to continue to grow slower, but it's going to grow differently. But that shouldn't be a surprise. What we find is very interesting is when this number comes down, people are surprised and they extrapolate this into a a global financial crisis. There are asset classes right now that are pricing in a recession, which we think is totally wrong, and therein lies the opportunity. But frankly, let's be honest. We think this is very difficult. This is going to be very difficult for coal companies in iron ore companies, in copper companies, but we think it's going to be great for energy companies, it's going to be good for uh, coffee companies. Anything that's sold into the consumer in China is going to be fine. Jim, before we run out of time, let's let's take a couple of, uh, just follow up on that in terms of we've had this drama in the market that's created some opportunities We've got a couple of minutes here. What do you think are some of the opportunities that are just pound-the-table buying opportunities here? Okay, uh, I, I think one is, and I don't mean I don't mean I don't mean individual stocks. I don't want you. To, no, I, don't want to go I think I think I think what you should do is be, you should stand back and sit there and say, what does your portfolio and what does the world look at if if the if oil is at fifty dollars? Mm-hmm. What does the your portfolio look like if growth in Canada is about one GDP growth in Canada is about one point five percent and growth in the United States is about two percent and let's say the Canadian dollar is at seventy one seventy two cents and growth is going okay uh, and 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 the global economy is growing let's say at three two three three percent what does that look like and and from there use that as your base case scenario and then move forward, I, because you, you you have to. The, the, there's a fork in the road with this with, with this correction. It's either we're going to go into a global recession, 
and we're going to have a financial crisis, and you should be buying, take going to cash and battening down the hatches. That's the one fork in the road. We don't agree with that. The other fork in the road is this. This is more like 2011, summer of 2011, when the when the S and P downgraded U.S. debt, and and we had a wonderful buying opportunity. I, you have to make a decision on which one. So we sit there and think that the growth is going to be better than expected. There's too much fear in the market, and you should expect you should expect volatility while we go through this adjustment process. So I'm actually more constructive on Canada than I have been in three or four years. I think there are opportunities in Canada. I don't think the Canadian dollar, I think we have seen the majority of the depreciation in the Canadian dollar relative to the United States dollar. And I think people have understood that the U.S. dollar, there might be another leg up. But boy, oh boy, when you start looking at where it's come from over the past couple of years, it's gone a long way. It's gone a long way. So we we think the, the the depreciation we are expecting the dollar to go down to the the, the high 60s uh, i can tell you last week we hedged some of our portfolios in terms of us dollars relative to canadian dollars we did that or over 145 so you know get a game plan have a play out and so we're constructive but we but, but guess what there's an old saying that also benjamin graham says be greedy when people are fearful, and be fearful when people are greedy. When the sky's clear and everything's wonderful and everybody's talking about, you know, the market's going to go to infinity and beyond, it's not. <laughs> Jim, that's perfect. Thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, Dr. James Thorne, uh, Caldwell Investment Management Limited in Toronto. And Jim is the Chief Capital Market Strategist down there, Senior Portfolio Manager. Jim, really, I do appreciate you taking the time with us this morning. That was perfect. I want to recommend people go to your website, caldwellinvestment.ca, to get more information. And, Jim, I, I hope you and I get a chance to talk again. It was wonderful. Everybody have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, we, I'll be back after the news break with my own version of the shocking stat. We'll have Ozzy Jurek coming up with his take on the real estate market. And then Drew Zimmerman, my son, will be here to do the trading desk segment with me. So uh, lots ahead here. And uh, we'll be, uh, uh, I guess I hear the music. I guess that's a wrap-up for now. Okay, we'll come back after the break. See you then. You're listening to Money Talks all across the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back. Victor Adair sitting in for Michael Campbell this morning on Money Talks. I have to tell you, I, I really liked Jim, the, the fellow we were just talking to there, actually Dr. James Thorne. Uh, he's making the point, you know, we're, we're at a fork on the road here. And he's saying, don't benchmark, you know, your expectations off of what happened in 2008. And, you know, if you go out in the Internet, it doesn't take you long to find a number of people that are telling you that we're going to hell in a handbasket and you better head for the hills with some guns and ammo and dehydrated food. There are other ways of looking at it, and I thought uh, Jim really presented his case well. Uh, you know, for, for myself, I've been trading markets for about, uh, well, a little better than 40 years, and one of the things that I do, uh, just out of habit, I guess, is I, I look at prices price relationships in other words what's something priced at relative to something else you know what is the price of wheat relative to the price of corn what's the yield on a two-year bond relative to the yield on a 10-year bond and then I'll, I'll ask myself why is that you know why is that price relationship that way doing that helps me understand 
a little better than it would otherwise, what's going on in the markets. And sometimes when I do that, I find some good trading opportunities. So that brings me to my version of the shocking stat. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a cartoon going around this past week uh, where a, a barrel of Kentucky Fried Chicken was more expensive than a barrel of crude oil. Well, okay, so one thing led to another, and I started looking at some of these price relationships that I look at, and uh, I was shocked. <laughs> okay, I'm going to use that. I was shocked when I saw what had happened to the price of crude oil relative to the price of gold. But there's a little backstory here. In 2005, I had the opportunity to meet with the finance minister of a Middle Eastern oil-producing country. And I told him at that time that I thought it would be a good idea if his country took some of the money that they were making from producing oil and buy gold with it. One of my reasons was that at that time it took only six or seven barrels of oil, uh, I should say, <laughs> yeah, barrels of oil to buy one ounce of gold. And that was the best price, at least from his perspective, that had been available in the last 30 years. Okay, so just the other day, I took a look, and I, I, was, I was so stunned. I was shocked. It now takes 37 barrels of oil to buy one ounce of gold. That is absolutely off the top of the charts. And for the data that I've got going back 40 years or so, it's never been that rich. I mean, to put that in perspective, just back in 2014, July of 2014, it only took 12 barrels of oil. So in a year and a half, that trade has been a triple, gone from 12 to 37 barrels of oil needed to buy one ounce of gold. I don't know, that's, that's one of the things that happens in markets. You, you think you're paying attention and you look at something, you say, God, I hadn't even seen that was going on. Uh, we'll take a uh, we'll take a quick break here, a commercial, and then we're going to come back with Aussie Jerk. Aussie's got some great themes, particularly if you're listening to Vancouver or Calgary or anywhere here in Western Canada. You're going to want to hear what Aussie has to say. We'll be back in just a moment, and you're listening to Money Talks all across the Chorus Radio Network. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I think I've got Ozzy on the line. Let me just check. Ozzy, are you there? Yes, I am, Victor. Oh, excellent. Um, Ozzy, just for starters, uh, you and I are both going to be at the World Outlook Conference next weekend at the Bayshore Hotel in Vancouver. And uh, at 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon, you're going to be starting the Real Estate Investing Seminar. Uh, want to give us a quick uh, sneak peek as to what you're going to do? Yeah, sure. So not not only do we have the full shot, full day uh, stock bonds gold day as always on the Saturday and the Friday night, but uh, Michael brought in something new, and that is the, the sort of the real estate afternoon. So we'll have my fine forecasts, which I have been privileged to give for the last 22 years. And then we have David Steele talk about the Site C Dam. He's the expert in the north. We have Ralph uh, Case, my uh, partner, the five critical skills you need in order to make money in this kind of environment. We have Jeff Olin from Toronto, how to invest in real estate through stocks. And we have a Westside uh, owner of a fantastic uh, local real estate company, Dexter Realty, David Peerless, talk about what's going on on the West Side. We've got David Becko, who is a flipper, extraordinary, and a boutique developer in Vancouver. And then finally, we have Scott Ulrich, who is the owner of the largest uh, property management company, because it's not only what you buy, it's what you want to keep in good shape that makes you money. 
Okay, that's going to start at 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon, and that will lead right into the regular part of the programming that starts at 5 o'clock with Michael Campbell. Ozzy, you sent me a couple of notes here, and I did talk about this earlier in the show. Uh, let's I'll give one, two, three, Calgary foreclosures, Whistler booming, and Ozzy, Ozzy Jurek is a little <laughs> bit worried about some of the aspects of Vancouver real estate prices. So let's go one, two, three, Calgary, what's going on? Well, Calgary, of course, we all knew that, uh, you know, that's tough in the oil patch, uh, but many of the oil companies had forward sold their oil, so it didn't really bite till this fall and, and early this year, but now the layoffs are continuing, and if you're a CEO right now in Calgary, you're probably not looking at office expansion or taking on more staff, and it'll be quite the opposite, and that has resulted in more foreclosures. We have 150 foreclosures this January versus 30 last year, and that's sort of maybe just the beginning. We also see a huge influx of people coming from Alberta and Saskatchewan. In fact, there's more people now coming from those provinces than all the international immigration we have, so that'll aggravate our market even more. But just as bad as Calgary is uh, is becoming, and listen, we like Calgary and Edmonton. It will recover. There's no question in my mind. We always have come through the through the low oil time and, and, and come out the other way. But interesting enough, Whistler has been suffering for years. Now is uh, seeing uh, sales uh, back to uh, the level that they had pre-2008, and the average price is the best since 2007 as well. And uh, let me guess, it's foreign buyers, particularly Americans, that uh, find Canada's on sale. No question about it. First of all, it is the classiest, best ski resort in the world, always has been. But it suffered a while from, you know, focusing too much on the international investor. And when we, our dollar went to a dollar five, well, it, it took off. Well, now sales are up 14%. I talked to Mike Wintermute from Sotheby Realty up there, and he says, you know, next year we're reporting fewer sales, but not because there's fewer interest. It's just there won't be any listings. I mean, sales of luxury houses now are up. Uh, that's over $2 million, mind you up 33% compared to 22% for the for the general market overall. So, yes, the big money has discovered Whistler again. And we said it at last year's Outlook Conference, you know, buy Whistler. Yeah, I mean, I've skied at Whistler since the late 1960s. I've played golf up there since Arnold Palmer built the first, first golf course. One thing I've – and t- correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me there hasn't been a lot of new building in Whistler the last four or five years. And that's true, and it's not the total market. I mean, when the single-family home prices up some 14 to 16 percent, and the upscale market even more, but the condo market is up, but not like to the same extent. It's it's much like Vancouver; it's up about six to seven percent. But I think all that is is boding well for the future, and and certainly Whistler needed that shot in the arm. Now, conversely, when you come to Vancouver, well. <laughs> as sad you might be in Calgary, as astounded you are in Vancouver. Now, I'm not worried. We're not having an imminent collapse. But listen to this. The, the high peak pricing that we have today, you just can't ignore it. I mean, Vancouver income-producing real estate is now being sold at prices that don't relate to even the most aggressive pro forma calculations. I mean, unbelievably how you could possibly build something at that that uh, level. Think about this. Two old low-rise walk-up western buildings sold at just over $30 million, a price that comes to about $638,000 a suite or $1,734 per square foot. And there's two adjacent old buildings in Carousel that sold off-market for $27 million or $641,000. And those two sites had been assessed for a total of $6 million in 2014. I mean, $6 million to $27.6 million. Gas stations are now valued at 15 million to 30 million an acre if there's a chance of high-density zoning. 
So the following money speculators in Vancouver is not following any of the old rules. Well, old people like me says just because the rules are being ignored doesn't mean the game hasn't changed. Because at some okay. point, probably in 2007, when the latest new family multi-units come on the market, end buyers simply will not be able to pay the prices the speculators need. So, uh, you know, Ozzy, I moved to Vancouver Island. You and I have talked about this. Uh, I look at what the housing prices are here on the east coast of Vancouver Island, and they're a fraction of what they are in Vancouver. And I've asked you, if folks your age and younger people like myself <laughs> are living in Vancouver, but they've got a house that they paid 46000 for 22 years ago, and it's now yeah. you know, worth a couple of million. Yeah. Are, are those, is, do you see people selling, you know, hitting those foreign bids and going to places like the Okanagan and Vancouver Island? Oh, no question about it. I mean, I have my, my heart in Kimberley, a little town in the Kootenays, and I, I, we just bought a sixplex there. We're talking six suites at 1,100 square foot each at $380,000. I mean, we can buy a front door for it. But if, if you bought, for instance, a building like that, you have $4,000 a month's income, then you have left from your $2 million, still have million six left, take 600000 buy the most expensive house in town, another two hundred buying the best expensive ski resort, and then you still have 800000 in the bank. You start to wonder why not more people do it, but... It is happening everywhere that people taking a good hard look at the real estate, not just a home, but my goodness, I could sell this for two million, of which a million six would be tax free. Yeah, sounds like a deal. I, I know just recently I had a client and we had some inventory of some stuff and we wanted to sell it and we were in the happy position where there were people banging on the door to take our inventory and I said to him, When that's happening, you should be selling. Hey Ozzy, we gotta to get to the hot property, you just about forgot about yeah. that. We got a, a, another foreclosure that seemed to be very popular with a huge uh, increase in interest last year, last week. So Cloverdale, 199900 This was a building that uh, is a very nice building, but it had a $28,000 assessment per suite. Well, that's been paid by the bank. It's sort of a rancher style, no one above, no one below, 199000 foreclosure. But remember, all foreclosures have to be approved by the code and might have to uh, come for more. But we think that's a, that's a good deal to make some money on. Oz, thanks for taking the time this morning. I truly am looking forward to seeing you uh, this coming weekend, and especially we'll get the guys together for a speaker's dinner on Saturday night. That'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> we have you solved all the world's problems. <laughs> Over Absolutely. <mine. laughs> okay, you're listening to Money Talks on Chorus Radio. We'll be back with the trading desk segment after we take this commercial break. Well, welcome back. We're at the uh, trading desk portion of the show. And just before I go to my son, Drew, I want to remind you that Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club, a royalty-based investment, which means you get paid first. They're in the tech field. Go to soleraclub.com for more information. And, uh, Drew, are you there? I am. Thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> I think, well, it, it's I'm doing the show. I get to, to have on who I want. But I told the folks earlier when we were at the top of the show how you and I talk at least a couple of times a day about what's going on in the markets, what we what, what we see in the market, what we want to do for our short-term trading accounts. And uh, I thought you had a great zinger the other day when you said to me, we're all trading oil now. What did you mean by that? Well, as you know, we when we talk every morning and look at what is going on in the markets, the one thing that was just apparent across the board 
was crude oil was dictating the market sentiment, whether it was the S&P or the currencies, and really reverted it back to a risk-on or risk-off environment. And if you didn't think they were correlated, when we had our lows on Wednesday of this week, the S&P and crude oil made their lows within one minute of each other. Right. That was the day that the Dow Jones was down 550 points and looked like it was going to go to zero. Exactly. So whether it was the crude bounce that brought the market back or the market that brought crude back, it's always hard to tell which is the dog and which is the tail, but they are highly correlated right now as we do see just a, a singular kind of market action. So then if we want to trade virtually in a market, uh, we, we pay attention to these relationships. And if we go, uh, by the way, I know Joseph Schachter is going to be appearing at the World Outlook Conference this coming weekend. And I know Joseph has taken off his bearish hat and he's put on his bullish hat as far as the prices of crude oil are concerned. And particularly uh, how to uh, take advantage of that with some, some specific Canadian stocks. But... Uh, of course, Drew, as you and I both know, just once you see, gosh, there's a perfect relationship, this follows that, then the relationship breaks down. So that, that's what keeps the market interesting. Um, something else that you'd said, and I thought this is very germane, particularly in line with what James Thorne said just a few minutes ago on the show, don't fight the Fed. But I know in your view, it's not just the Fed. And, and give us your take on that. Yeah, as as I mentioned earlier this week, I mean, we've had several countries, their major stock indices go into bear market territory. That's London, France, Germany, Japan, China, and of course, here in Canada. But this week alone, we've had the European Central Bank talk about doing more at their March interest rate meeting. We've had the People's Bank of China add to their stimulus measures. We've had the Bank of Japan come out and say they may do more as early as next week. And I mean, the Japanese market took that loud and clear and rallied 6% on Friday. Now, that's normal for the Chinese market these days, but that is a, a huge rally for the Japanese market to have. Interestingly enough, I know I have a little side note. If I ask you the question, what's been the strongest currency in the world since the beginning of December? probably the Japanese yen is not the first guess it should make, but it's been that way, and it's just started to reverse. Interestingly enough, the Japanese yen hit its high point just about exactly the time that crude oil and the stock market hit their low point and then reversed. So things have been very, very correlated. Drew, we've just got a, a minute or two here. Is there something in the market that you like the look of right now, something that you're you're doing, trade you're making? Yeah, I mean, earlier in the week, uh, about midweek, I'd switched to the uh, position to benefit from a rising Canadian dollar. Uh, I want to sit with that as we see the markets kind of continue to run. And the biggest thing as we go into this next week, has this risk reversal uh, started a new trend or is this still a bounce within what would be considered a bear market? I mean, we're looking at it, as you said, across many different assets, whether it's the interest rate instruments or the currencies. And it looks like maybe these central banks adding more liquidity have given us enough conviction to be buyers of risk. And, and we just want to see if that will continue going through next week. Well, you, you got a little extra 
kick from uh, the Bank of Canada not cutting interest rates this week. And interestingly enough, what day did that happen on? Wednesday. That was Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) So Wednesday was a very key day right now in terms of the emotional sentiment that flows from one market to the other. It affects all of the markets. And certainly when the market gets really emotional, the correlation between markets seems to go to one when the market's less fearful, then each market will, will march more or less to its own drummer, not be so tied to that risk-on, risk-off trade. So you like the uh, Canadian dollar here, but uh, in, any upside targets on it? Or you just, so long as it's going up, you're going to stay long? Yeah, I like to stay long. I mean, looking at the 71.5, I think that's a, a great spot for a near-term bounce. And, and really, we're not all that far away. So it, it's come a lot faster than we may have thought. But as you said, Wednesday was a very important day. We always look for what we call key turn dates. It's too early to say that's a key turn date, but you know, by the end of next week, we may know, and Wednesday may have been a key turn date for these markets. Drew, thanks very much. You can hear the music playing. I'll be with you at the World Outlook Conference. Mike Campbell will be back next week broadcasting live from the World Outlook Conference at the Bayshore Hotel. It's been great being with you. Talk to you all again next week. You're listening to Money Talks all across the Chorus Radio Network.